Hello and welcome to the Lights Camera Sports Podcast, presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm Mike Galtieri, so happy to have you on board for what should be a very exciting show, as we're joined by the head coach of Boston College men's basketball, Jim Christian, will join us. Before we get to that interview, however, let's learn about our new presenting sponsor, Chestnut Hill Technologies. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amage Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check us out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. If you would like to join Chestnut Hill Technologies in advertising on Lights, Camera, Sports, and Podcasts, make sure to email lightscamerasportsads at gmail.com. Lights, camera, sports, ads, ads, at gmail.com. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Mike Galtieri here. And like I said earlier, we're so happy to be joined by head coach of Boston College men's basketball, Jim Christian, joins us here on the Lights, Camera, Sports Podcast. Jim, coach, thanks so much for taking the time. Michael, pleasure. Pleasure. How are you doing this afternoon? Great, great, great. So, Coach, we like to profile all our guests. Let, let's talk about you growing up in uh, New York, Bethpage, New York. Did you like basketball early on? Uh, did you always, was that always your primary sport? Yeah, I think, you know, back then it was a little bit different, right? So everybody played a little bit of everything, but I just, I kind of gravitated, you know, to it at a very, very young age. You know, nobody in my family even played it, but I just, uh, just kind of fell in love with it, and, and it just it just blossomed. I mean, and uh, you know, probably the best thing I've ever done because I've been you know, it's been part of my life for you know since I was seven years old. And coach, you went to say Dominic's, a pretty prominent high school there in Long Island, and you played under Ralph Williard, which is you know amazing. Holy Cross, Louisville under Patino. Just talk about that experience playing in high school basketball in Long Island. Well, at that time, Long Island basketball was was. You know, it was just phenomenal between the coaching. I mean, in our high school league was, you know, Ralph Willard, who's obviously been a tremendous college coach. Bob McKillop was a high school coach in my same league. Um, and when I came out my year, there was just some great, great players. Billy Donovan, who played at Providence and is now a coach of the Thunder. You know, we've been playing against each other since we were 11 years old. So it was just a really, really good time in, in Long Island basketball. And just from, from the coaching to players to all of it, it was just uh, – it was just high profile and, and got you ready for for college. I mean, it was when I went to college. That was, you know, because of the coaching of of, of Ralph Willard. But I was I was more than ready and understanding of what was expected. And now it's amazing. You, know, his son's coach at Seton Hall. It's like come full circle. <laughs> yeah, so man, we've been we're really good friends. We were just I was just with him. The Under Armour coaches just got away for the event, so I just spent three days with him. That's uh, that's really really cool. And you were all state guard in high school. And then just talk about your recruiting. You ended up going to Boston University for Rick Pitino. Just talk about that experience, how it was for you in high school, uh, going ready for college. Yeah, you know, again, I was the first person in my family to even go to college. So the recruiting process was, we were so naive to it. So we kind of, you know, we, we relied on, on Coach Willard. And, and uh, you know, just it just fit. You know, Rick Pitino at that time was another St. Dominic guy. He went to high school as well. So it was just kind of a natural fit to me. But then my career was a little bit crazy because I never got a chance to play for him. I signed for him. We never got a chance to play that summer that I was going to, to go to BU. He left to go be an assistant with the New York Knicks, and I played for John Kuster, um, longtime NBA coach, played at North Carolina under Dean Smith, and just a great, great man. And enjoyed my two years there and then, then transferred. 
um, I transferred to the uh, University of Rhode Island to play for a guy named Brendan Malone. And the Brendan, the year I sat out, he ended up leaving and going to be an assistant coach with the New York Knicks. So I was kind of, in college, I was a launching pad to the New York Knicks assistant job. <laughs> so just talk about that experience in transferring. Why, what made you want to go to URI down the road? And because of that, uh, can you relate to kids now who want to transfer? Is that Because back no, when you did, not many people transferred. Right. I was just young. I think I was just young and, and, and just kind of a little bit of naive to it. And, uh, my, you know, the coach was leaving. Coach Kuster was going to, to GW at the time. So um, I should have really stayed, to be honest with you. I was having a good career. I was playing with great guys. People who I'm, you know, it's funny, when I came back up to Boston to, to be the coach at BC, it was, I was able to reconnect with a lot of guys who, and people I went to school with up here, and I hadn't seen them in 30 years. So I, if I could go back and do it again, I wouldn't have done it. But, again, I met some great people at Rhode Island. So, you know, it's just you just learn from all the experiences. I don't know if I can relate to it because we didn't have as many guys leaving as we do now. But, but uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see 20 years from now if those guys uh, who are leaving now, if they really think they made the right decision. Hopefully, they in their minds, they did. And they can, you know, they can have happiness. But I think, honestly, if I could do it over again, I would have stayed. Well, you did have a lot of success at URI. <laughs> Tom Pender's great coach, obviously, and you went all the way to Sweet 16 in 1988. Just talk about that experience. Was Al Skinner an assistant on that staff then that year? Yeah, he was. Al Skinner and a guy named Jamie Compaglia, two really great assistant coaches, and Coach Pender's was the head coach. And we had two unbelievable guards, Carlton Owens and Tommy Garrick. And I think if you anybody who knows anything about Rhode Island basketball would tell you they're probably two of the top 15 players or 10 players to ever play there all time and great, great people, both in coaching. It's really amazing. Tommy works with me here at BC, the women's assistant coach. I see him every day. And uh, Carlton's down with Al, um, coaching down at Kennesaw State. So it's just, uh, you know, it's, we, and that doesn't surprise me because that's the kind of team we had. We just had a bunch of guys that loved the game and you, everybody at some point, Bonzi Colson was on that stat, on that team, and he was in coaching for a long time. Bergen seen as a high school coach, he was on that team, and I just think that's kind of a, the kind of team that was put together, just a bunch of guys who really understood it and uh, appreciated the game. And what, what do you remember of that Sweet 16 run? The first, you know, you're right. That's a great run, to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think it all goes so fast. You know, what I mean, it's harder. It's hard to remember. You, know, you just always remember little things. Just, celebrating with the team and just just uh, I was just how those two guys in particular Carlton and Tommy and Kenny Green was on that team they just played at a different level than they had been playing at the whole year not that they weren't great players all year they were but they just the moment was not it was just they just rose to the occasion and it was it was unbelievable people forget I mean we we almost the, the, the last game we lost to we lost to Duke by one yes in in the Meadowlands and we were down 18 nothing because we were so nervous to start the game <laughs> hey, that's a heck of a run then. And then you you graduated college. You played a little bit in Sydney, Australia. Just talk about that experience playing professionally and then transitioning <laughs> to coaching. Yeah, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to do it long, but to be a, I, I wanted to go someplace. I had choices to go someplace where, they, you could, where it was English-speaking, where you could have conversations and meet people. And it was unbelievable 10 months. I had a lot of fun. It was an unbelievable place to live for 10 months. I lived right on the beach, Bondi Beach in <laughs> Bondi Australia. Bondi Beach, yeah. If you're 22 years old, that was the spot to be, single. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, we, I had a great time, but I knew it. And then right when I got back, that's when uh, Ralph Willard got the head coaching job in Western Kentucky and offered me a chance to be a GA. And so I knew I wasn't going to be a 
wasn't going to be a lengthy pro career anyway, so I just I just thought it was the best thing for me, and, and I'm, I'm lucky I did it. That was 28 years ago. That, that's amazing, too. Ralph Wheeler comes full circle. You go to Western Kentucky. And, then, you know, I, people I don't think realize that. You see he's a head coach now, but the path that you had to take, uh, West St. Francis, back to Western Kentucky, Miami U, University of Pittsburgh, under Ralph Wheeler again, uh, then Kent State assistant, understand Heath, who's now your assistant at BC, and then you've got the head yeah. coach at Kent State. Just, you know, macro level, just talk about that whole journey, uh, that time period as an assistant coach in the college level. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, I think people see the, the, the glamorous parts of it, but not the day-to-day uh, grind and, and, and really the movement that you have to take when you're a young coach. I mean, not many people get to, you know, be in one program for a long time. They were all you know, great moves at the time for me where you could just learn and, and, and learn new systems and, and different ways of doing things and, and move to different areas of the country so have different uh, recruiting bases. And it just, it's just kind of the natural progression of, of coaching is that, you know, you got to be, unfortunately, you got to be willing to move. Um, and it, 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 it's not easy, especially for your family, but uh, um, but it's just, unfortunately, just a part of it. And it's, it's, it's also the best part of it because, all the different relationships you make along the way, not just with the head coach, but with the other guys on your staff. So I was at Western Kentucky. I was an assistant with Tom Crane. Uh, when I was at Miami, Ohio, I was an assistant with Fad Mata and Charlie Coles. I mean, just the, the contacts and, and connections you're making, you, they stay with you forever, and you're continually bouncing things off one another. And I remember I had I talked to Pat Dequette, who's now head coach at UMass Lowell, and he said uh, the role of an assistant coach, at least for him at that time, was 80% recruiting. Uh, you know, if you're, you evaluate versus in game, it's the assistant coach. You guys are constantly on the road, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Yeah, recruiting, scouting. I mean, that's probably the majority of it. Is is both of those areas? I mean, you know, a lot of film breakdown and and then dealing with your own team. I mean, because I think what happens is you can't um, you can't spend all your time on the road and forget about those guys who are back on your campus. I mean, it's and I coached. I was an assistant way back when when there was no text messaging, there was no cell phones. You had to go get a guy. <laughs> I mean, you had to go find them. I mean, you had to go find them and talk to them or track them down. And um, and the same thing with recruiting. I mean, it's, it was it's a little bit easier now. It's a lot more monotonous, but it's a little bit easier in terms of connecting with people uh, than it was then. I mean, you could go, you could see a kid you love, and it take maybe four or five days to find them on the phone and get them on the phone. Um, so it's, it's it's really come full circle. And then, coach, you be, you get your big break at Kent State. Uh, early 2000s, become the head coach there. Had a great uh, track record, 137-59, two NCAA appearances. And then BC fans might remember, too, a close call, uh, almost knocking off BC at the time in 04, December 29th, 04. Antonio Gates was on that team, but that was a 67-65 loss in overtime. Craig Smith had a buzzer beater, but that BC team was on the way to going 20-0. Yeah, that wasn't the year before we played them in 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 Cleveland and beat them in overtime with Antonio. <laughs> there you go. We played them here. And Antonio wasn't here. If he was on that team, who would never story that he was such a good player. That's right. Yeah. But uh, people forget we lost that game. We had two free throws. Our best player was at the free throw line with whatever it was, five seconds to go. They were our only two free throws of the entire game, and he missed both. Kid named DeAndre Haynes, who's a phenomenal. Phenomenal player, ended up being a conference player of the year. Missed both free throws, and then Craig Smith threw one in for about fifty feet to beat us. <laughs> and that's just you know that's how it goes. It, you know you're always on, you're on the end of a lot of those other ones the other way as well. Yeah, so. you could be, you could be doing this forever. And you don't forget those games. Oh, no question about it. Uh, so just talk about the Kent State experience. Obviously, had a lot of success there, and that really propelled you to TCU. 
Yeah, I was lucky. You know, I inherited a great program. Stan Heath, who works with me now, was was the head coach. Gary Ward was before him, and um, we just inherited a great. It was a great culture there. I mean, guys, you know, it was just a winning culture. And everybody we added just kind of became part of it. And we were lucky. We had some great players. Um, won a lot of games. And it was tough. It was tough to leave there. You know, again, as a looking, you know, as you get older, you look back at it. You know, going to TCU was great for me in a lot of ways. And but the, you know. I could I could have stayed at Kent for a long time because I loved it there and I loved the people and what we were doing with the program. But it's I think every experience that you go through helps you build and, and grow, and, and I'm glad I did it. And then you went to TCU four seasons, 56 and 73 there. So, you know, did you notice a difference that first time elevating to the Big 12 from Kent State was in terms of coaching well, between Kent State well, we and TCU? In, we, were, we weren't in the Big 12. We were in the Mountain West. Oh, that's right. West, yeah. at, at that point, the Mountain West was better than the Big 12. So, gotcha. Um, so it was different, and it was it was a little bit like this, to be honest with you, because I inherited a program that was so down, had to be totally rebuilt, and you know by the time I left there, we were ready to go. We had a really good team, and and uh, that's kind of what happens. It takes some time to to kind of redo it. Actually, it helped me a lot because when you're at Kent State and you're winning year in and year out, and you're just kind of reloading. Um, sometimes you end up taking for granted the things, the important things that you have to build in order to get the program to certain spots. You know, and and I think TCU kind of showed me that a little bit, that, I, you know, the, the core of your program, they have to be the right guys and with solid foundation. you got to let them grow. So as as they went on, we grew, and the program, you know, really started growing. So I was – it's very similar, to be honest with you, it was very similar to, to BC. And then from TCU, two seasons in Ohio – and you got them back on Chuck, 47 to 21, 24 and 10, 25 and 11 in those two seasons at Ohio. Uh, talk about the time with the Bobcats. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a, it's such a great basketball environment there. Maybe the best basketball environment I've ever coached in, to be honest with you, day in and day out. There's just great student support. Um, I think we averaged close to 3,000 students a game. It was amazing. They do an unbelievable job of getting them there and, and creating that environment. A lot of people don't know it. Um, but it's probably it was the toughest place to play in the MAC. I mean, if you asked every school where the toughest place in the MAC to play is, they would tell you Ohio. And, and that's just it's a testament to how hard they work at it and, and the tradition that they have there. It's a great program. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world class strategy consulting to Fortune 500 and mid cap firms throughout New England and nationally including State Street Bank, Amage Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check us out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Okay, Coach, let's go to the BC time. It's, how did that reach? How did that happen with Brad Bates when he reaching out to you, the timeline? Because uh, two seasons at Ohio is not a long time. Just go into that. How did Brad Bates reach out to you uh, to become the head coach of Boston I, you know, College? Yeah, I just think that, you know, I mean, when the process has happened, they just – reach out to people or, or, or have other people reach out to them and engage interest. And, you know, me being from the East coast and, and obviously the challenge and, and an opportunity to, to have a to chance to coach in the ACC. I mean, it's a once in a lifetime type situation. And although I knew what I was getting into, um, it was something I really, really embraced and I still embrace it. And we, like I said, you played, obviously played BC in 04. You've been around, you've heard of BC. What was your first impressions of Boston college from afar when uh, you Brad Bates reached out to you before you even got there, well, I mean, I mean, I knew, you know, knowing, you know, Al Skinner, um, I knew the great job that he did here. 
Um, and, and everybody know everybody in, in basketball knows it's not it's not the easiest of situations, um, you know. But it is very rewarding, and it's just you know just just again it's it's all about the level and competing against the very very best. Anybody who does anything um, is excited for those opportunities. And you know, what did you think of the Boston area? Did you enjoy? Did you know anything about Boston area? And do you like living in the Boston area now here at uh, Boston College and I'm, using it as a resource? Yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm not just saying this either. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not just saying this. Without question, is the best place we've ever lived. My wife and family are so happy here. Like this is the. You know, sometimes you, when you live in a lot of places, all of them have good things. But I don't know if if uh, any place has encompassed all the things we like better than Boston. I mean, everything we like, and it's not even the city itself and following all the teams like we do in life. But it's just it's small things like my wife, we have two dogs and there's more great dog walking areas within 10 minutes of our house. So she's happy as a clam every day. <laughs> my kids have great friends. The school we live in, we have need them with great schools. I mean, everything that we want in our life is here. So we're, we could, this is, again, we couldn't be happier. And that's not taking anything away from the other great places we've lived. We love docs. We love living in uh, Athens, Ohio. We love living in Fort Worth. You know, Kent is where my wife is from that area, but this place here, for our at this stage of our lives, we couldn't be happier. And did you, did you try to use that? Does the staff try to use that as a recruiting pitch to get guys to come to Boston in the area, uh, mm-hmm. players? You know, I wish it would be that easy. <laughs> you know, recruiting. Yeah. That that where the kid lives is probably the last thing on his mind. Um, I think really it's all more these kids. You know, it's more about playing time, opportunity to play, how you play, who you're playing against, than it is where you live or. We're into other stuff. Hopefully for us, I mean, the guys that we get, the academic component, if it's a family decision, you know, that's the ones we try to identify because we have so many great things to offer uh, that a family will appreciate maybe 20 or 30 years down the line that maybe these kids don't see, you know, when they're 18 years old, worried only about, you know, tomorrow and their opportunity to kick to the NBA. So it's not it's not that easy. With, oh, Boston's such a great city, come to Boston. It's not. I don't know of any kid that's done that in, in, in any sport, especially basketball. Yeah, would you say that when you approach a kid for recruiting, is their number one concern uh, how quickly they get to the NBA? Is that is that the number one? I don't know if that's it. It's every city. It's, I mean, they should be. If they're getting recruited at this level, then they have that dream and they're working at it. So I think they should think that way. But it's not how quickly. It's more of how, how can you help them? And, you know, can they showcase their abilities and talents? Right away, where they, you know, where they get a name for themselves, and you know, I think it's, 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 you know, all these kids, you know, you sign up to play in the ACC, you I mean, you're signing up to play against night in and night out, the very best that there is. So, you know, it's a chance for them to test themselves, and that's, you know, that's probably where all the conversations start. Uh, you know, that along with obviously the academic component and, and, and what BC, uh, what a BC degree means and what it will mean for the rest of your life. So, Coach, I'm curious. Just give me the 15-second elevator pitch that you tell a, a four-star recruit in July in, in Vegas. I, I just gave it to you. And for right now, for, for us, the 15-second pitch has got a lot to do with playing time Yeah, and having yeah. a vision of seeing what this could be and how close that we are getting now that we – you know, what happens in recruiting, as you get better players, so as you get Jerome Robinson, as you get a Kai Bowman, other guys see it. Other guys say, okay, man, they're getting close. Man, they just need one more guy here or one more guy here. So the vision really had to be seen by a Jerome Robinson. There's nobody here. And and now he, we're able to show and, and, and showcase what those guys have done, how they've grown in our program for pretty much two 
unknown players come out of high school that now the whole country knows. Yeah, I mean, that, was and, next, that was my next question, Coach. How did you go about getting those guys from North Carolina? Uh, you, know, you mentioned not local. Uh, at the time, the team yeah. was struggling. What, what made well, you able to convert those two, uh, the, the team leaders? Well, number one, it's evaluation. Now. Those guys were not getting recruited heavily at this level. So it's, it's, uh, it's like, a, you know, you both got to go all in. They, you, you go all in in your belief in what they can do, and they go all in believing what you're trying to do too. And I think that's where it starts. The second part is that, you know, both of those kids are in an area where the ACC basketball, they grew up with it. Yes. So yep. we wanted to target areas where kids want to play in the ACC. So, what you know, in the East Coast, there's a lot of schools and a lot of leagues up here. Not every kid grows up with the ACC. So down there, that's what they grow up with, and they wanted to play. It's funny. And, and you know, that's what, that's what, that was the allure for them. They wanted, a, they wanted an ACC school to believe in them where they could go out and compete against, you know, in front of their family and friends on a night, nightly basis. How then locally? I'm I'm wondering how this is going with recruiting with the BABC, the A, and the New York, New England players. I know in the past BC's relationship with the local AU has not been great. So it, it has has there been any warm up recently? It's last couple of years local. The relationship is great. It's just getting the guys a little bit different until the program turns around. Yeah, I mean you're trying to recruit the the best players. It's not those guys saying don't go to BC. Well, with B, it's not because BC hasn't either recruited or offered them. You know, they, the program has isn't at a state yet where those guys are like, man, I can, you know, I can win the national championship from BC. Yeah. And we've got to get it to that point. We're getting closer, and each guy we get gets closer. But it's not the relationship with the guys running those programs is great. I mean, we've done. I spent a lot of time with those guys, and and and, and it's, they don't dislike us, but they're not telling those guys where to go all the time. And if they do. You know they try to they try to help us when they can, but it's not easy. And that's I mean, good. It's been that way for 25 years. It's not a three-year problem. That's a 25-year problem. Yeah, no question about it. I hear that. I get that question a lot. Why can't we get the local kids at BC? And that you know, as you said, it's been a problem for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, it's just something you just got to keep working on. And then, like I said, when the program improves, and, and like I said, when you have a, like a they see a Kai Bowman and a the Jerome Robinson flourishing. They have something to look at and say, wow, I, that, that could be me. I could be in that situation. It only takes the first one, and once you get one, that's good. It leads to others. It's, it's really, you know, it's, it's hard, but it's easy. It's really that simple. It's not, it's not a, there's not one person that can just cure it. It's just got to happen over time. And, Coach, how would you describe to a fan who's come up to you, what is your style of basketball that's a winning Jim Christian-style basketball? Are you focused on a defense rebounding? Do you like to push? Just give us your, your, your pitch. What's a winning style of basketball in your mind? You know, I think a lot of it dictates by who you have. I don't know if there's one style that can win. We do play fast. I mean, if you looked at last year, if you looked at the 1-15 to 15 teams in the ACC, we played at the second fastest pace. Uh, that's because we have really fast guards, and and, and uh, I think this year we, we can really do that. We're literally we're much more athletic right now than we were at this point last year. So, um, yeah, I, I think every, it all starts and ends with defense and being consistent. I thought that last year we were inconsistent on the defensive end of the floor when we played the right way and played hard defensively. We were pretty good, and then when we didn't, uh, we didn't. So finding that consistency and really right now it's all about. Um, player ownership to me. We have to get these guys to take more ownership in game because basketball is a free flowing game and if you have one three or four minute stretch before that you can't you only get three timeouts. You're not getting twenty eight. You know, you don't huddle up after every play. I wish you did. That would make it a lot easier for me. So it, the players have to kinda 
And now that they're getting a little bit older, I think that that can come. The ownership, the leadership that you need on the court to win in tough situations is, is the next step. And, you know, it's been amazing from two years ago to last year and seeing the improvement. Uh, you know, I went to a lot of games. I was down at Virginia Tech. We saw Chapman had nine three-pointers there in Blacksburg. That was a crazy game. But you could see the progression. So looking ahead to this summer now, what are the, your top priorities to get even more wins now in the ACC? Are you looking for a big? Are you trying? What's what's the whole the mindset with you? I know you probably can't talk yeah. about the future recruits yet, but uh, j- yeah. just the coaching yeah. mindset, the staff. But I just think again, you know, we had nine freshmen and sophomores. In our situation, after my first year, I had nine scholarships. You only get thirteen, so it's going to take a little bit of time, you know, to to to, to not only fill those but fill those with with the players you need. So it's. It's it's never as fast as people want, and, and I understand that because I'm a fan of a lot of teams. And it's never as fast as I want, but it's a process, and I and I think the process for us is really moving forward. So now it's it's finding really one more consistent guy, a guy that can go out every night, you know, in addition to Jerome and Kai, and get you 15, 18 points a night. On any given night, he can have a night like Jordan Chapman, where you know where you get that third and fourth guy, and then then develop culture and gain experience. I mean, a lot of times, because we were so young, the experience kind of overwhelmed our team. And after a while, it's, it, it gets to be tough. So now that these guys have been through it, and they've seen now when, when they when they execute and do things well, we're right there and can beat anybody in the league. Yeah, no question about so it. The, the experience is, is going to be huge for us. What what are the players working on this summer to update, update the BC fans can you tell us anyone who's shown a lot of improvement? What can we expect as the summer is yeah. and goes into the fall? Well, I mean, again, we, this is a big summer for us because this will be the first time once every four years you're allowed to take your team away. So we're going away as a team in August uh, to the Bahamas, but we get ten practices in the summer, which we've never had, um, you know, which I've never had here. So it's really going to be good. It's going to give us a little bit of a kickstart. A lot of our new players, our young freshmen. We'll get indoctrinated into kind of what we do, how we do it, practice. Um, so and, and, and anybody else that we're adding here late will be on the trip with us as well. So it'll give our team, uh, most importantly, a chance to bond and, and grow and, and, and talk about all the things we just talked about, you know, the ownership and what we're trying to accomplish and how we're about to do it. And, and I, I just think it's going to be a, a really, really good summer for us. I'm excited. We haven't started it yet. Obviously, we don't start till later in the summer, but I'm really looking forward to it. Are you allowed to talk about the new players coming on? I can talk about the four freshmen. Yeah, go go, go ahead. What, yeah, can we, so we, what can we expect from the freshmen? Well, we, so we signed a six ten young man named named Luca um, from Slovenia. Six ten. He's a lot like Nico Popovich. Gotcha. Uh, probably more skilled than Nico um, on the perimeter. Can shoot the ball. Can really pass and handle. Give us some length. Um, we signed a six six eight and a half. Uh, three, four, and Vin Baker Jr., who, from a talent perspective, um, could be unbelievably special. He's just, he's just, his body's just a little bit thin right now, but he's a guy that grew from 6'2 to 6'8 in a year. Wow. And just like his father, yep. he's just like a late bloomer. I think when it's all said and done, I think people are going to be like, well, how the heck did you get that kid? Good. Like I another Kai Bowman then. I think he eventually could be a special, special guy. Uh, we signed up a point guard named Avery Wilson, who's, 6'3", 215 pounds, really tough, aggressive kid. And a 6'7", 4 man Tom Dadkin, 
another just a guy who knows how to play, just tough, knows how to play, can shoot the ball, which was an area in the last couple of years we've really struggled to shoot the ball from the floor. So he's going to help us there. So I'm excited that we're going to add at least one 50-year guy probably to um, with our last two scholarships, and, and, then we'll, and then we'll be good to go. You're good to go. Okay, so last couple of minutes here, Coach. Let's talk quickly. Uh, new athletic director, Martin Jarmon. Have you met him yet, and were you excited for his era to get going here? Just your general thoughts. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I think he's got a lot of – we have met and talked a little bit. Not, not a ton. He hasn't been out here yet. Uh, officially, he's been finishing everything down where he's at. But he's he's got, obviously, great energy and enthusiasm and, and a vision for what he wants. Um you know, it's an exciting time. Hopefully, you know, hopefully he can hit the ground running, which I know he's excited to do, and and move things forward. And then, in terms of facilities, power gym, what's the what's your take? Do, does recruits notice that? Does BC need to get you know step it up with the facilities or basketball? What's your general take on that? Uh, I know you have to share I mean, the power gym with a couple other teams as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that statement alone would, would tell you that you know there's a lot, not a lot of teams in our league doing that, but that's fine. I mean, those things. Again, I mean, nobody's – the kids who are making decisions purely based on facilities, then if we're recruiting that kid, we're recruiting the wrong kid. Gotcha. Because we're not going to win that. We're not going to win that battle. So we have to make sure we understand kind of who we're targeting and what they're looking for um, and, and before we waste time. And that's the most important part of it is to understand, okay, what are they really looking for? Um, so, it's, you know, if those days come where the facilities become an unbelievable great selling point, then you might be able to target a different kid, but until they are, you've got to make sure you're targeting kids that want what you have. And we have a lot of great things here, so we've got to keep focusing on those type of kids. And then in-game t- attendance, what can we? What do you think we could do as a program to fire up the fa- season fan base, the season ticket holders, and to increase that in-game attendance, especially you know November, December, those pre-ACC games? I, I think that's more of a college basketball problem as well as a BC problem. I mean, there's so many things now on TV. There's so many games on TV. In November, December, you're fighting football. You're fighting a lot of different things. Um, I think we probably can do a little more on campus, try to create a little more involvement on campus. Obviously, the team, if the team does better, uh, it'll help those things. But, uh, you know, that's a huge – That's a, again, that's a nationwide problem. That's just – sometimes I think we only think the problems are unique to us and they're not. Ninety um, percent of the schools in the country had a tough time drawing people in November. Yes, yep. And coach, last couple questions here as we pro- announce you play Nebraska in the AC Big Ten Challenge, uh, playing at Mohegan Sun this year. What are some schedule highlights fans can look forward to as we progress into uh, 07-18? Uh, 17-18, Yeah, it's a good. T- it's a good two game set in Mohegan with uh, you know ourselves. Texas, we play Texas Tech. And then LaSalle and Northwestern play in the other game, and winners and losers play. Obviously, we played Providence. We're at Providence this year uh, at Nebraska in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Richmond comes to our building. And that Atlantic 10 team has played very, very well. Yep. So it's it'll be challenging, and we still have to add one more game. So um, it'll be it'll be challenging, but it ain't, it's not going to be as challenging as those 18 games when we start tipping it off and, and soon going to 20 games. So it was got to go to 20 games in 2019 and 20. Yeah, are you a fan of that? 20? It seems like a lot. 20 in-conference games. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, uh, you know, again, it's debatable. You know I mean? It's, it's uh, I, I guess I, I sit on the fence of waiting to see what it's like. I don't know if any, you know, again, it's one of those things where I think one league does it, so the ACC will start playing 20 games, and probably within the next two or three years after that, you'll see all the Tower 5 schools playing 20 games. Yeah. 
It just, so it's coming. You can do about it. You know, last question. Just give our fans a perspective. I might not know what it's like in that ACC conference play, you know, January, February, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. What's it like coaching in that and going against Coach K, Roy Williams? And just give our fans a sense of appreciation of how, right. how difficult it is. Well, I wish it was Wednesday, Saturdays, because then you'd have more time to prepare. But there's a lot of games in there, Sunday, Tuesday, Saturday. Yes. So it's not a lot of time. You know, you have, you, your schedule has to fall. And the, the generally part of the ACC, different than some other leagues, you know, just use the Big Ten as an example. A lot of the Big Ten teams play a very similar style of play. So the, so the preparations aren't as unique. In the ACC, there's a lot of unique preparations in, in short time frames. Um, so when you've got a young team like that, if you're playing Syracuse, well, you haven't seen anything like that to that point. So, you, you know, this year we were lucky. We had a week to prepare for Syracuse the first time. It showed. Um, but the second time we didn't. And it's just it's a lot different because the styles are different. Louisville's a very unique style. Obviously, Virginia's a very unique style. So there's a, there's a lot of different nuances here that a lot of leagues don't have. They make for great basketball, and it's fun to coach it. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's a challenge for these young guys to pick that up quickly because, you know, there's certain things you have to do. Well, you're no question about it, Coach, and you're down to the final 30 seconds. But, I, you know, I, as a fan, as a BC alum, I like the progress that's being made here. Uh, I saw a lot from two years ago to this year. And uh, in your opinion, do you think that it's going to make that next jump up uh, in the ACC you coming next season? I really believe that. I think every year there's an ACC team that just surprises people. Um, this past year was Georgia Tech. The year before it was Virginia Tech. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if this year was BC. Well, okay, Coach, thanks so much for the time here on the Lights, Camera, Sports Podcast. Okay, Mike, thank you so much. Like I said, anytime. I really appreciate what you do, and, and I really, really appreciate that you're pumping up BC. It's great. Okay, Head Coach Jim Christian, thanks again for the time. Okay, buddy. Thank you. Well, thanks so much to Coach Christian for BC men's basketballs. It's trending upwards. You heard him right there. The goal to make continue to make progress in the ACC and you know to get some big wins this season as they come up in 2007-2018. Thanks once again uh, for listening to the Lights Camera Sports Podcast, now presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, AMAG Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check us out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Once again, this is Mike Galtieri signing off.